You are Locked On A's. Your daily Oakland A's podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. How's it going, A's fans, and welcome to episode 215 of the Locked On A's podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host, noted baseball fan, Jason Burke, and on today's episode, the Padres are paying their infielders nearly a billion dollars over the life of their contracts, so I'm comparing the current San Diego infield to the Philadelphia A's $100,000 infield, which was deemed super expensive back in the 1910s. So uh, it's a fun little bonus episode, and uh, I got a bunch of stuff to talk about, so it's going to be a long bonus bonus episode. So hopefully you guys enjoy that. Uh, before I get going though, please follow us on social media at Locked on A's on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at by Jason B on Twitter. And if you have any questions for us, please send those to LockedOnAthletics at gmail.com. Two things before I get going. Uh, first thing, if you listen to Friday's episode, I was giving you guys a rundown of how the A's 26-man roster could shake out with the additions of Mitch Moreland and Trevor Rosenthal. And uh, somebody pointed out on Twitter, I forgot a backup catcher, which I did. Uh, so my larger point stands, I just didn't have a catcher in there. The, the A's need a four-man bench is what I'm saying. Um, so there's that. Oops. Um, I, I think that John Murphy could catch all 162, but y- you need to give him a day off, maybe. So it's probably nice to have a backup catcher, just in case. Uh, second thing, uh, this podcast is going to be super biased towards the A's, even though I legitimately enjoy the San Diego Padres. So uh, it's all in jest. I don't like saying bad things about uh, current players because you're supposed to build up the, the sport. But uh, this is meant in jest. So let's have some fun, you guys. Um If you haven't heard, Fernando Tatis Jr. of the San Diego Padres signed a massive contract extension on Wednesday for 14 years and $340 million. He is one of the few non-A's players that I am obsessed with because he takes me back to my childhood and rooting for Ken Griffey Jr., who is arguably my favorite player of all time. I loved watching him, and I love watching Fernando Tatis Jr., and uh, uh, let's see what he has in the tank for the next 14 years. There were all those questions on uh, social media like, hey, how old are you going to be when this contract's over? And I was like, I don't want to answer that because it's a little too close to 50. (laughs) Anyways, uh, I don't want to talk about that deal specifically. Instead, I want to compare the Padres infield, which according to Joel Sherman totals out to $812 million over the course of their entire contracts. Uh, They got Eric Hosmer at first base getting $144 million. They got Hassan Kim, who is the recent signing from uh, the KBO. He's going to be He's slotted at second base. We'll see how much time he gets there, but he's getting $28 million. And you got Fernando Tatis, who's getting $340, and Manny Machado, who is going to be getting $300 million. So that is a lot of money locked up for uh, just those four guys right there. But it's not my money, so I don't care. And it's not John Fisher's money, so I'm sure that he's happy too. Uh, The Philadelphia A's had an expensive infield of their own back in the day, and it was so expensive at the time that they were nicknamed the $100,000 infield. Adjusting for inflation, that would amount to just over $2.6 million today. But baseball is dying, right? Right? Okay. Anyway, the players that were on that A's infield that cost $100,000... 
Uh, we're Stuffy McGinnis playing first base. So you got second baseman Eddie Collins, shortstop Jack Berry, and third baseman Frank Home Run Baker. Sabermetrician uh, Bill James, you know him from being Bill James, uh, ranked the 1914 infield the best in the game. And they were together for a while, but the 1914 version of this infield specifically, which uh, they were broken up after that season. They didn't win the World Series. They... Uh, they got traded. That sounds familiar. Ace history, you guys. <laughs> but he ranked the 1914 version of that infield as the best of all time, and that foursome helped propel the A's to four American League championships and three World Series titles in five years. In comparing the A's and Padres infields, I could easily say that uh, two of the A's four guys are in the Hall of Fame, and they won three World Series titles together. But Tatis hasn't even played three seasons in the big leagues yet, and Hassan Kim hasn't even reported the spring training, so that wouldn't be fair or even interesting. So what I'm doing to compare these players is comparing the players to their counterparts at the ages that the Padres guys have played through. And because baseball was a much different game back then, I'm using basically just OPS plus and war, which translates through eras. It's an imperfect science for sure, but Jack Berry hit 10 career home runs and home run Baker as the legend goes, got his nickname because he hit two home runs in the 1911 World Series. And now he's immortalized as Home Run Baker. He led the league in homers four straight seasons from 1911 to 1914 and hit a total of 42 bombs in those 42 seasons. That's like a, a Chris Davis good year. <laughs> so I'm not diminishing home run Baker by any means. I'm just saying that there is no perfect way to compare across eras, especially when there is over 100 years in between these games that were being played. So with that in mind, let's compare home run Baker to Manny Machado. I started Manny Machado's stat accumulation in 2015 when he was 22 and Baker's in 1909 when he was 23. Uh, they each accumulated six seasons, but with the shortened 2020 season, Baker had 37 more games played. So I was going for roughly an even equal uh, age that they were both playing at and also games play. And this is uh, the best approximation that I could get with the 2020 season. So Manny Machado hit 280 and Baker hit 327. But again, different games, different eras. So that doesn't necessarily matter. So going straight to OPS plus, Baker comes out ahead by a wide margin with an OPS plus of 153 or 53% above league average. While Manny Machado has been solid in his own right with a 128 OPS plus or 28% above league average. So switching over to war, Baker holds a significant edge, accumulating 41.9 wins above replacement to Manny's 30.1 and uh, cards on the table without a reliable way to tally defense from back in 1910. It's hard to say if these guys would be closer or further away in overall production. Uh, we, we don't know. Maybe Frank Baker, Homer and Baker was a tremendous defender. Man, that's not really cooked into a stat, at least not to the degree that the current day players get their defense judged. So, uh, Maybe they were better or worse or, you know, uh, further or closer apart. We, we don't necessarily know. But uh, I do have a fun fact for you guys, and that is that baseball gloves didn't even have webbing until 1920. So I'm not even sure defense is a fair comparison for these two guys. So we're leaving it offensive. And, uh, well, sorry if that's offensive. <laughs> God, I'm dumb. Anyways, uh, since we have uh, all of two stats to compare these guys with, Let's have some more fun. I'm coming up with arbitrary ways to compare these players. And for Machado and Baker, I'm going with who had the better name. 
First up, we got Manny Machado. His name is alliterative, which is awesome. You got to love, you know, Manny and Machado, two M's right there. And that earns a bunch of brownie points from this Marvel fan uh, or, you know, superhero fan in general. But this is a built bar pod, so you can get out of here with your brownies, M.M. Home Run Baker may not be what his mama named him, but it's what he's known by, so it counts and he wins. Machado's nicknames, which nobody calls him, aren't even the best of their kind. One, according to baseball reference, is Hakuna Machado, which isn't anywhere near as good as the meme of Ronald Acuna Jr. and Yoan uh, Mancata or Acuna Mancata. So he doesn't even get credit for having the best nickname in the Lion King genre. Machado may have brought brownies to this fight, but Frank Homerun Baker is a literal baker. I can get my fill of any kind of sweets, Manny. So get out of here, Machado. Moving to Baker's left. <laughs> I got too angry for that. Moving to Baker's left or down the page for me, uh, we have a battle at shortstop between Fernando Tatis Jr. of the 2035 San Diego Padres going up against Jack Barry. Uh, don't know why I'm selling Jack Barry so hard already. Uh, spoiler alert, he wins. <laughs> Tatis is obviously the best player on the San Diego infield, and according to his Sabre bio, Barry was considered by many teammates, opponents, and writers to be the most valuable part of the A's infield. And he's not in the Hall of Fame, so <laughs> weird. Huey Jenkins, a Hall of Famer from the turn of the century that also led the league in hit-by-pitches in five straight years with an average of 40 a season. Huey Jennings... Uh, got beamed 40 times a year on average. <laughs> That's insane. Um, anyways, he said that Barry was the best player in the league besides Ty Cobb, and Ty Cobb himself said that Barry was the most feared hitter on the A's. So obviously, we are dealing with equal talent here, so let's talk stats. And sure, you can talk cross-era stats like OPS Plus or War, and they'd have Tatis with an OPS Plus of 154 in all of 143 games played, and they'll say his cumulative war in just under one full season is 7 which is really good. But Barry finished his career with an OPS plus of 88, which is 12% below league average. And uh, he collected 25.9 wins ab above replacement in 11 seasons. So really, who's the better player? You got to think that it's Jack Barry because he has more war over his entire career than Fernando Tatis did in one year. Uh, Barry was actually really good for a couple of seasons, finishing with a four and a half war in his age 23 season in 1910 and holding a 111 OPS plus not quite as good as Tatis statistically, but it's a good thing we're not going by stats. We're going with arbitrary ways to figure out who uh, who wins this battle. And Jack Barry didn't even have webbing in his glove when he was playing. So by comparison, Fernando Tatis Jr. is basically on hand steroids. And uh, you got to give this one to Jack Barry, obviously. So I've got two more comparisons coming your way. So stay locked in with Locked On A's and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Locked On A's podcast. No idea why I'm so worked up. If you guys are enjoying this uh, for some reason, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast wherever you like hearing podcasts. Follow us on social media at Locked On A's on Twitter or Instagram. I am at ByJasonB on Twitter. If you have any questions for us, please send those to LockedOnAthletics at gmail.com. I also want to mention uh, Martin Gallegos and I are recording on Sunday night. I'm recording this on Saturday night, so we have not talked yet, but that'll be in your guys' feeds on Monday morning. So, uh, keep an ear out for that. We're going to be talking about the A's and, uh, you know, what he thinks about some stuff. So it should be a lot of fun, but let's jump right back into this battle of infields with, uh, the battle between Eric Hosmer and Stuffy McKinnis. Uh, that's a new name for me, but I learned a lot about him and he's kind of interesting. So here we go. 
We're starting with Steffi McGinnis, whose real name is John Phelan McInnes. The worst season he had as a member of the A's resulted in OPS plus of 113. So he was actually pretty good. That's 13% above league average. If you're catching at 100 is league average. I guess I should say that 100 is league average. Anything above that is that percentage points uh, above league average. So that's uh, that's how I do the math on that. <laughs> he was worse than that 113 WRC or uh, OPS plus in his rookie season as an 18 year old, but he only played 19 games. So we are not including that his worst season as an I was going to say Oakland Athletic, as a Philadelphia Athletic, was 113 OPS+. plus. That's really freaking good. Um, this comparison gets a little bit tricky, though, because they both started playing in the big leagues at a young age, but Stuffy, in true A's fashion, was traded in 1918. So we got some Red Sox history coming up for you guys a little bit later. Um, so I'm going to give you guys comparisons of the first baseman from their age 21 through 26 seasons, representing McInnes' time with the Philadelphia A's, and then also their age 27 through 30 seasons, which is as far as Eric Hosmer has played so far. So, uh, And those stats will be... Uh, with Stif Stuffy McInnes as a member of the Red Sox. So for Hosmer's age 21 through 26 seasons, he held a 107 OPS plus and accumulated 11.1 wins above replacement. Honestly, those aren't bad numbers and they are better than I thought they would be. And he even helped the Kansas City Royals to a World Series title in 2015. So good for him. In the same time frame, not, you know, uh, chronologically, but in the same time frame of his own life, Stuffy McInnes had a 122 OPS plus and he racked up 22.7 wins above replacement. So he was literally twice the player and won twice as many World Series and also played in 38 games in the 1910 World Series team or with the 1910 World Series team, uh, though he, he apparently doesn't get credit for that. I don't know how that works. He doesn't have a little gold ring next to his uh, name in that year, but uh, he, he played for the regular season team, so I think that he might have gotten a ring. I'll have to check on that. Anyways, I found this little tidbit, and I wanted to share it with you guys. I didn't have a joke for it uh, just because that one of the guys that I'm going to say sounds like Hosmer, but I was like, eh, whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, but I figured that I should impart this knowledge anyway. And that is in 1911, Stuffy McInnes replaced an aging first baseman, Ben Hauser, sounds somewhat like Eric Hosmer, it's a plain name, uh, on the roster and put up those stats that I just mentioned. So he was 20 years old and he took that spot. And uh, good for Stuffy McInnes. But moving to McInnes's Boston stats from his age 27 to 30 seasons, he had an OPS plus of 89 and brought in 6.3 wins above replacement. So he, he definitely uh, started the tailspin a little bit once he got to Boston. And Hosmer has uh, had one more year with the Royals before signing on with San Diego. And he has held a 111 OPS plus and racked up 6.7 war. So uh, OPS, he has the edge, Eric Hosmer does. But according to war, he also has the edge, but not by nearly as much as the OPS would uh, have you believe. But as always, we're deciding who's best arbitrarily. And one thing that I can name about Eric Hosmer is that in 2018, uh, as a member of the San Diego Padres, he was playing first base. He came in on a uh, routine pop-up in the, I believe, 10th inning, bottom of the 10th inning in Houston, and he overran it and it fell and then the Astros won the game. So uh, to my knowledge, Stuffy McInnes never did that. So he is far and away the superior player and he wins this position battle. Plus Eric Hosmer has never been teammates with literal Babe Ruth. So that obviously counts against him too. Uh, and during the time that they were teammates, Stuffy McInnes single-handedly brought Boston what many thought could be their last World Series title in 1918. Our pal Stuffy went five for 20 with two runs scored and an RBI. And I'm just going to say that 
they were all game-winning runs. And he was the MVP of the series, and uh, he is the only reason that Boston had even that World Series to hang their hat on at that point. Okay, so I got curious, and Stuffy McInnes was actually responsible for driving home the only run in Boston's Game 1 win with a fourth-inning single off of Hippo Vaughn. Man, the names back then were great. Uh, so after that, I had to look up when Stuffy McInnes scored his runs, because he had two of them, and see if uh, those also came into play in Boston's wins. And uh, you go to Game 3, they lost Game 2. Game 3, he did score the game-winning run, or well, what amounted to it, in a 2-1 to win for the Boston Red Sox, because uh, he scored the second run of the fourth inning. So, uh, good for him. And Stuffy McGinnis did not score the game-winner in Game 4 for the Sox, but for the third time in four games, Stuffy McGinnis, in a low-scoring series, was responsible for a run crossing the plate in the fourth inning. But that's enough Red Sox history. I just found that interesting and wanted to share it with you guys. But let's get back to the task at hand. And that is, uh, we have one more battle, and that is second base. We have A's legend, the 1914 MVP, a four-time World Series champion, and a Hall of Famer, Eddie Collins. And opposing him will be newcomer to Major League Baseball by way of the KBO, Ha-Sung Kim. Eddie Collins wins. <laughs> I, I will uh, actually give this one some some time because Eddie Collins is actually an A's legend. So let's talk about him a little bit. But first, uh, Hassan Kim has been really good in Korea. He's coming over at a relatively young age for somebody who is coming over from a foreign league. He's going to be playing in his age 25 season in 2021. And I don't know if he's going to be their everyday second baseman because the Padres also have Jake Cronenworth, who was pretty good last year. They got Jerickson Profar, who sure... Uh, Jorge Mateo. So they got some guys that can play second base or outfield or wherever they want to put them. And uh, Kim may also be in that uh, in that realm of playing second base and outfield too. So I don't know how often he's going to be playing or where, but he's on the team and they're playing him a lot. So he's probably going to be getting some decent playing time. So that's why he's uh, here at second base. It blames Joel Sherman if he doesn't play second base, not me. There's really no way to compare these two players. One guy finished his career, his Hall of Fame career, and uh, one guy is just about to start it. But let's take a look at Eddie Collins's age 25 season with the A's and see what the Padres newcomer has to live up to. Eddie Collins finished sixth in the MVP voting in 1912 when he was a 25-year-old and he hit 348 with a 450 on base percentage while also leading the league in run scored with 137. He had an 8.8 .8 win uh, win season or 8.8 .8, uh, war. So good luck, Hassan Kim. We wish you the best. And as somebody that I mentioned on a podcast in like November about, uh, you know, guys that could take over at second base for the A's or shortstop even, uh, I'm excited to see what he does. I just have no basis of knowledge on how his uh, Korean stats are going to translate over to America. So uh, I got no way to compare these guys. Eddie Collins wins. So let's talk about Eddie Collins here a little bit. According to a Sabre bio, Eddie Collins debuted under the alias Eddie T. Sullivan because he was still going to Columbia University at the time. And he went three for 15 as a 19 year old with the A's. Then he came back for another short stint with the A's the following summer. And he went eight for 23. And he was with the A's from that point forward. He went on to uh, play on the 1919 Chicago White Sox, best known for throwing games in the World Series. But uh, Eddie apparently was not in on that racket. Before he retired, Collins returned to the A's for his age 40 season in 1927 and put up some solid numbers and was worth a couple of wins. But the A's finished in second place in the American League, 19 games behind the literal 27 Yankees. Uh, Collins also played in three more seasons through his age 43 season. These are all with the A's. But 1927 was the last year that he got any really significant playing time. He got nine at-bats for the A's in 1929 
29 and then two in 1930. And obviously those are two seasons that the uh, A's and Connie Mack also won the World Series. But by that time, they were being led by Jimmy Fox, Mickey Cochran and Al Simmons offensively after uh, there was also lefty growth. But I, you know, I digress. Uh, after he retired, he went to work for the White, the Red Sox, sorry, the Red Sox as vice president and GM. And he was involved in the scouting and signing of future Hall of Famers Bobby Dewar and Ted Williams. He was also involved in a tryout for Jackie Robinson that led the Sox to not even offering Jackie a contract because the Red Sox manager at the time had broken his leg and that was taking up all of Eddie Collins' time and he couldn't focus on anything else. In other words, the tryout was basically a sham and uh, this really, really, really tarnishes the legacy of Eddie Collins for me because... As we all know, Jackie Robinson was a fantastic baseball player, so it wasn't his ability that kept him from getting a, re- a contract offer from the Red Sox. It had to be something else. And since baseball hadn't been integrated yet, I wonder what it could be. Huh. Weird. Um, not sure how to go from there, but uh, Connie Mack Jr. also went on to play for the A's in 1939 and 1941 and 1942. Uh, He didn't play very well, but he played. Uh, The A's were also not very good, so Eddie Collins Jr. and the A's were both just not good during that period of time. And uh, to close this all out, each member of the A's $100,000 infield finished on the 1912 MVP ballot with Collins 6th, uh, home run Baker in seventh, Jack Barry 14th, and Babe Ruth's unverified best friend, Stuffy McInnes, finishing 21st. Uh, that is a tall task for the San Diego Padres. Good luck to them, I guess. Uh, no, really, though, it, it would be fun, so good luck to them. Uh, and I know that you can say that there were fewer teams and it was easier for clumps of teammates, especially on good teams, to get uh, to get votes and, you know, all end up on the MVP ballot. But this podcast is over now, so uh, stay indoors and celebrate good times, Oakland. Keep wearing those masks, and I will talk with you guys soon.